Blog Talk Radio. a monthly holistic lifestyle show focused on the continual evolution into the best versions of our authentic selves. This is Jess Bina, your host. I'm the founder of Intersections Match, the only matchmaking and dating coaching company focused on South Asian singles throughout North America and London. As a dating coach and matchmaker, I'm always interested in fresh perspectives from authors, researchers, and experts to help me provide unparalleled service to our clients. I had the pleasure of reading the book Shabi Remix, Transforming the Traditional Indian Marriage by attorney Gita Ravindra, and thought Gita would have valuable insights to share with you all today. Gita is an author, attorney, mediator, and trainer who is currently the mediator for the International Monetary Fund. Gita has mediated family cases for the Richmond City Juvenile and Domestic Relations District Court for over 15 years. She also provides assistance to Indian families dealing with difficult marital issues. Welcome to the show, Gita. Thank you very much, Josephina. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you on. And I am wondering, as an Indian woman who was raised in the U.S., got married through the arranged marriage system, and has been happily married for over 20 years, why do you say in your book, quote, as the mother of a teenage daughter and son, I could never imagine suggesting that they marry someone I chose after having met for 10 minutes, as I was expected to. Tell us about that. <laughs> oh, of course. So I I have now been married 25 years, actually, and just celebrated my anniversary. So, And I have a 21-year-old and a 17-year-old, and you're absolutely right. Okay. I, I am blessed to have had a very successful and happy marriage, but I met and spoke with my husband 10 minutes before we indeed um, decided to to get engaged. And I could not dream of this for my own children. And I think the difference is this. I grew up at a time and, and an era, if you will, where I put enormous trust and confidence in my parents to select my prospective groom or husband. And um, it was, um, I had a, a, a tremendous belief that they would indeed find for me someone who would uh, be a good partner. And I uh, went into my marriage without any prior relationships to, if you will, compare my husband to. And so I put all my uh, eggs, if you will, in that basket and uh, have committed, you know, since then my life to my husband. Today, um, you know, for younger, for the younger generation, I'll say, um, it's different. In fact, if you will, it's almost flipped. I I believe that younger people today, while they do dearly, I tr- I think love their parents and trust their parents. The matter of marriage has really evolved for us, and instead of 
the children, if you will, trusting their parents to find an appropriate match. It's we're at a stage where the parents must trust their children to recognize and identify a partner that would be best compatible or suitable for them. And I don't believe that the same, if you will, commitment and um, trust that we had in that system exists today. It, it It's not the same. And so if you marry someone, in fact, many of the divorces that I've dealt with involve uh, individuals who were uh, raised or who live in different continents, um, these marriages are very challenging because you don't know enough about uh, the individual that you're marrying and where women, I'll use women, I'm not trying to generalize here, mm-hmm. but in many cases, women who marry a man who has a job or is living in the United States or, or North America um, come here in, you know, hoping that they'll have a successful marriage will often find that they they're actually not the best person to be married to, may have other relationships and are not ready for that kind of commitment, but succumb to pressures by the family to agree to such, you know, marriage and sure. and then it falls apart. So there's just been way too many experiences in recent uh, in the recent decade I'll say where these uh, arrangements made by parents of with very good intentions have not worked. Yes. And so the responsibility now lies heavier more more heavily now on the young people or you know the next generation um to find a match that is um best suited for them. Well, now, interestingly, you stated in your book, as you mentioned, you've had so much experience in terms of um, working with people in marital discord. And, you know, you stated in your book again that, you know, quote, most of the couples I know who have divorced or are in the process of getting divorced had their horoscope approved as a good match by some astrologer before they got married. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and that was the quote. So based on your experience with hundreds of families struggling, you know, with marital issues, what do you think about matching horoscopes to ensure compatibility? You know, I don't mean any disrespect to astrology or, you know, that tradition. I know it's very um, important to many families of Hindu faith. So with that said, I'll just say that I have found many examples where um, people are told what they hope they will hear. And sometimes, sure. you know, it's basically how much do you pay to get what the answer yeah. you want. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so right. there's lack of trust from my perspective in what we're hearing from astrologers. I'm not saying that there's not there's a science there. There really is a legitimate science there. But right. how it has been used in terms of marketing and in the commercial manner to support marriages where there's something to be gained, I, I really question mm-hmm. that. And so I, I think horoscope, like many of the other factors that used to be considered, like your family status or your caste and those other types of issues, yes. was one element that was considered by families in determining compatibility. You know, I mean, a lot of people even yes. in this country will look at their horoscope and say, oh, my God, yes. this is a good month to do X, you know, or to meet someone sure. or to begin sure. a job Absolutely. or whatever. It's part right. of what people do, right? And so I appreciate that there is a, a need to be able to depend or rely on some objective standard to evaluate compatibility. But what sure. we've seen in actual divorces or separate is that you can have these glowing 
you know, charts, if you will, that suggest that you'll have a wonderful life, but there's clearly a mismatch when when they actually start living together. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, given that, given the horoscope cast, like you mentioned, family, dowry, even Mm -hmm. no longer as relevant, arguably, in, in determining compatibility, what types of things do you think people should be considering in looking for a life partner at this point in this day and age? That's a great question because I, I, I think that those things that we historically use to assess compatibility aren't necessarily as applicable today. I, mm-hmm. I describe what I would say contemporary considerations, you know, for young people today. And I know that your your company is all about helping support finding that right fit. I think mm-hmm. it's important for us to mentally evaluate. Each person has to think through what is the kind of person I want to marry? What are the things that are important to me in terms of education, intelligence, spirituality? Is this person's, um, what are their values? Are they consistent with mine? What are their, um, what is their approach to communication? Is it transparent and open and honest? You know, the, the, the passion or the um, the physical attraction fades right in the beginning. After a certain period of time, that honeymoon phase is is temporary. And so, what you need to know is: Does this person exhibit or possess the qualities, the character, the nature? that allows me to enjoy companionship with them long term. Do I trust them? Are they trustworthy? Do we have the same interests? Do we have the same vision of where we want to be in life? Um, Especially for Indian families, a couple of things that are different from American families. I've worked with American families as well. Um, Okay. For Indian couples, oftentimes it's important to have an open conversation about the role of parents, you know, or in-laws. Sure. I can't tell you Absolutely. how many couples have Absolutely. challenges because the mother-in-law yeah. is incredibly demanding or uh, or her expectations are unreasonable or they're too hovering or um, involved. And so it becomes very difficult to enjoy a private, you know, independent relationship with your spouse. Um, and so, you know, that's something that uh, Americans don't think about as much, but is a real issue for many Indian couples. We also um, have issues. I find more issues in Indian among Indian couples related to finances. Um, I, you know, Indian women are clearly very well educated, very financially independent, which is actually one reason I would say is why we see an increasing number of divorces because women no longer have to stay in a marriage that they're not feeling happy with or valued in or you know that that it's working for them and so what uh the financial conflicts often are, uh surround uh, or arise from are you know who's going to be paying for what what are what do we what kind of lifestyle do we want to have is this our money or is that your money and this is my money you know what i mean and so sure. these things sure. seem to be uh almost silly but in fact often cause strife in the in the in the marriage and can leave people feeling really frustrated and angry about misunderstandings and um almost feeling devalued or minimized or taken advantage of you know, depending upon where what's happening. Absolutely. Those questions. And I think, you know, that is one of the greatest services that your book does in terms of, you know, offering up some questions that are worth 
worth discussing to consider, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of assessing compatibility. And I know you mentioned, um, you know, some in terms of finances. Will you give maybe one one or two other examples? I know there's a whole raft of them in your book. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe one or two other examples of questions that you would encourage a couple to discuss because that compatibility is important. And if there's going to be a different right means to assess it apart from like you said the cast the horoscope then what is it going to right. be and i think these questions are great so what yeah is, what is example yeah i think another huge pro- uh, issue is career expectations or aspirations i should say mm-hmm. you know as i mentioned earlier women are increasingly financially independent and very pro- uh, progressing at enormously <laughs> wonderful rates in their careers and Many travel, many have the inability to come home and cook, you know, a, a fresh meal at the end of a long day, right? And sure, so sure. A, a question to have a very open conversation, which I indeed had with my husband, was I want to work after marriage. You know, how mm-hmm. do you feel about mm-hmm. that? Because for me, I've spent a lot of time in in terms of my education. I want to contribute to society. It's important to me to have that. It's not that I don't want to have a a family life, but I also want a a career. Is that something you would be comfortable with? I think that putting that on the table in the front, you know, up front is is very important and can hopefully uh, support um, clarity or transparency on that um, to avoid any misunderstanding down the road. I'm not going to say that even with that conversation, there may not be issues down the road, of course, but I think it's better to put that uh, request or goal, you know, on the table. Um, The other thing that is often um, important is, you know, I don't want to be, again, don't seem to be generalizing, but one of the things that has been a, a, a challenge in many Indian marriages is the inequity in gender uh, balance or gender imbalance, I'll say. Uh, many Indians are familiar with our more patriarchal society, and many young women grow up seeing, you know, their fathers, uncles, and so forth really enjoying um, the opportunity to allow their wife to do most of the heavy lifting at home, if I can say that, with the household duties, raising the children, and so on. Today, you know, people want to have an equal partnership in the marriage, and that includes household responsibilities, raising the children, and so forth. And so having a discussion up front about, you know, what is your perspective on household, how responsibilities should be shared? You know, um, do you feel that we could outsource some duties? You know what I mean? Like cleaning sure, or sometimes absolutely. getting, um, uh, you know, going out to dinner. Is that okay? You know, what, what, are, what are your preferences or thoughts about that? And I know, again, it might seem very um, petty or trivial, but I'll be very candid that it it does lead to conflict and 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 difficult um, situations where the wife, for instance, might feel overwhelmed and unfairly imbalanced in terms of household duties and responsibilities. And so, um, it's important to be clear in the front end about expectations, work, absolutely, uh, goals, and, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. That is the day to day of life, right? It's a mere, it is. I mean, that's, that's, that is the reality of it. And the thing is, and I, and I so agree in terms of those questions, not only because I do agree, right? Life is 
you know, full of transitions and, you know, what one, what people articulate now, right? And who knows what right. the future holds. Of, of course. But I think in addition to the value of obviously, you know, being kind of if you're on the same page, I think just being able to have that open and honest dialogue and see mm-hmm. how you can negotiate if there are differences or if there are different expectations, that value, I think having differences is fine, but the yes. ability to be respectful and negotiating through is, again, I think the reality of what marriage looks like for people, right? And when you're and so Absolutely. having that is invaluable in terms of having just an open dialogue and starting out on the foot of, a, you know, of setting that up as a precedent, right, of, of having Absolutely. open dialogue. Absolutely. In fact, that. I love what yeah. you're saying because I think that's the crux of it because we're, we are not perfect. There is no husband or wife who is truly the perfect person, right? right. We all have weaknesses. Sure. And so mm-hmm. – to to expect that in your husband or wife you're going to find someone who is flawless is unrealistic. So the question is, what are the things that are most important to you? And what is it that you can, as using the word that is perfect, is negotiate with your spouse, with your partner to work together? Can you resolve differences and find compromises that work for both of you in a positive way? Can you do that effectively? And sometimes through the dating phase, if you will, or the courting phase, by going through some experiences that are difficult sometimes, it may enable us to predict almost how well you deal with problems. Do you know what I mean? Because life is not always rosy. And it's so if you can see how does somebody react when a mistake is made or when something changes, you know, are they flexible? Are they understanding? Are they open to listening and adapting? How do we manage conflict? Because, you know, I talk a little bit about conflict resolution skills and and listening skills because it's inevitable because we're human beings. It's going to happen. Even with the kindest people in the world who have strong self-esteem and, you know, good-natured people, conflict happens. So the key is how do you manage it when it happens? So if you have the opportunity to deal with something and see how did we work through that, it can be very helpful in anticipating or predicting what the future might look like when you actually face bigger stuff, right, down the road. Absolutely. And, you know, I think, you know, I completely agree. I think conflict resolution is one of the in- essential sort of ingredients in a, in a marriage where both people feel fulfilled, right? And, and both. Right. So in that, what are, what are some other essential elements, do you think, of a successful, happy marriage? Um, you know, particularly, as, as you mentioned, you've worked with Indians, non-Indians. So particularly for those first and second generation Indian Americans that, you know, have been raised in, um, yeah, with both the Indian culture and and the American culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that um, there clearly has to be good communication. I mean, I mm-hmm. I talk about communication. You know, I do a lot of dispute resolution in my day job, and yeah. good conflict resolution uh, communication skills is essential. And it's not just the speaking; it's the listening. And with respect to speaking, you know, you've probably read Dr. Gottman's, you know, research. Mm-hmm. You know, he can listen yeah. to a conversation for three minutes and tell whether a marriage will fail or succeed. 
and what he's listening for are how people engage and if he hears language that suggests contempt you know where people are insulting towards each other and rejecting them minimizing belittling them that's just really scary and not going to lead to a good end result in fact they say you should have five good interactions to one negative interaction in your conversation with someone in a real, in a good relationship so i think that uh, one very important element is good communication and good listening skills um you should also um try to um if you will respect the other person you know it's almost a golden rule you know do unto mm-hmm. others and so if you have if you come into your relationship knowing that not only do you love this person but you respect them as a person and you value them that's enormously important um and trust commitment you know essential elements you will actually most couples will note that if there are some concerns about these things they will be evident early on in a relationship and so if you have any questions about that you should really pay attention to it early on um and not hope it goes away um and in a good relationship also you have um a friendship you know you have mm-hmm. um a sincere uh shared life goal and so when you have the ability to basically work together towards um you know spending a life together that allows you to achieve your mutual um goals that's a really positive work uh, relationship and if if you share those dreams and those plans and um understand where your partner is coming from and you engage in mutual support i think that's more important almost or as important as the intimacy that a couple should enjoy um because again sometimes that the the initial passion and all fades and then when real life sets in and responsibilities set in you really have to look deeper into the other person and what you share in terms of interests goals and values in life and that's what actually helps support lengthy marriages the sad thing is that a lot of the marriages that are breaking up are not within the first 2 years although there is that is common i've actually seen an increase in mar in divorces in indian couples who've been married over 25 years and yes. the only thing that kept them together was their children and mm-hmm. the uh fear or anxiety or of the stigma associated with divorce and what finally you know the straw that breaks the camel's back if you will is that they recognize you know when i realize i can no longer smile or i'm no longer happy um i knew i had to get out of this relationship you know it wasn't worth it if to just um engage in what has been called an invisible divorce you know they pretend mm-hmm. to be married but they're really not married um Yeah. So, so we're kind of yeah. living um sort of parallel lives and sort of right. separate, separate lives sort of under the you know, it's it's interesting you would mention, you know, breakdown in communication, finances, interference by family in terms of some of the you know, some of the um problems or issues that that you've seen, um, you know, probably everybody in but in particular maybe a bit more exaggerated with Indians in their marriage. What any other prevalent, you know, problems, anything that 
you know, seems quite common among the, um, you know, particularly the Indians that you've seen having issues? Those are the big ones. But I think that, mm-hmm. um, interestingly, I would say I have been a bit concerned, especially in the younger couples that are divorcing, in a lack of shared commitment. There is almost um, a, a, a greater willingness today than in decades earlier to walk away. Mm-hmm. Marriage is hard, hard work. It doesn't, it's not magic. You know, there's nothing, you know, that is, again, going to be perfect on its face. It requires attention, nurturing, and um, mutual commitment. What I'm finding now is a lot of times after the first few months when when a, when one or both feel, you know, I don't like this about this person or this is not working for me, they are more likely to just walk away and give up. And I I take it as a sign that we're adapting some of the western mentality that I don't have to put up with this because I don't need you to support me. And oftentimes for women, you know, in earlier generations, they had to stay married because that was their form of financial stability or security. And they didn't have the ability to return home or to get a job and so on. But today women can. And so my, my fear or anxiety, and one of the reasons I wrote the book is because I want and I hope that we can continue to preserve the value of our of marriage. I think it's a very important institution in society if we can simply give it a little bit more time and attention and patience and support and make better informed decisions in the front end. So I, I feel like there is a greater, um, and it's not greater than Americans, but I think I, I see it increasingly, I should say, among Indian couples, less of a willingness to work on the marriage. I don't, I don't, again, I, I'm not sure why, yeah. and, and maybe it will, again, continue to evolve because our divorce rate is growing. You know, we had a 1% sure. divorce rate, and we don't really track this effectively in any way, but it's growing. And so it is, uh, the, it's, it's be, because it is becoming a norm and an acceptable thing, my worry is that, um, we won't take the time and care that we ought to in in supporting and, and engendering strong personal relationships with our you know spouses when we do get married. Sure, you know you might find it in, on the heels of what you just said. You know you might find it interesting. We, you know, the model that I espouse with respect to you know the matchmaking is you know I say it's a blend of the three C's and and it's a blend of the three C's which are really in my mind the best what I perceive as the best of the East and West culture in that, mm-hmm. you know, I say compass. So what I say the compass is basically be guided by your values and, you know, your mm-hmm. vision for your life goals in terms of who you decide to date, who you decide to partner up with. I say right. compatibility. And, you know, compatibility to me, you know, based on many of the things you mentioned in terms mm-hmm. of, a, again, connect on the fundamental mm-hmm. values and life goals. And then which I feel is it's a decision more so than a feeling. And I think that that, um, you know, that does have roots in the Eastern culture. So that's sort of the East. I kind of think that compatibility and and allowing it to reveal itself over time and interaction, I think that's more of a Western concept, right? Um, Yes. But commitment, I think, you know, is rooted in the East. And I think it is 
one of the greatest contributions in that sense of the East. So I, I, I right. Agree. Uh, oh, exactly. And, you know, I know yeah, so it's kind of, but your book also states, um, interestingly, and I'm quoting, quote, interesting, most of the first marriages that end in divorce are arranged marriages, and the successful second marriages are love marriages that mm-hmm. are not restricted by caste, language, dowry, or other factors, um, unquote. And it feels almost circling back to where we started, but will you elaborate on that a bit, given your experiences? Yeah, well, what I'm finding in the second marriages is that the individuals are now more keenly aware of what went, what happened in their original marriage or first marriage that mm-hmm. didn't work, you know, whether it was their own responsibility or contribution, what it was about the other person's nature or behavior or whatever that was difficult for them to manage and so on. So they get a much clearer sense of priorities, which is what some of the questions in my book try to help people think about. What is important to you when you're weighing, you know, who a compatible person would be? And so why the second marriages I think are working is because there's a greater sense of self. You know, who am Mm -hmm. I? What's important to me? What am I looking for in a companion? And, you know, to me, your spouse should be your best friend. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not just your mm-hmm. sure. lover and soulmate, but also your best friend. Who who embodies that? What are those characteristics that embody that for me? And so when they're looking for their second mate, if you will, or, or partner, they're much more attuned to that. And they may be able to identify more clearly than in the first instance what's important to them. So they're not choosing a mate to please their parents or someone mm-hmm, else, mm-hmm. right? They're looking sure. at what are my needs? What are my dreams? Who, you know, what do I require? You know, are there qualities that I know I can't tolerate, like a quick temper, dishonesty, stubbornness, social, sexual, you know, infidelity? You know, what can I not tolerate? You know what I mean? You're much more aware of sure. that at that point. And so then you can think about, okay, what does my ideal person look like? And so I think that's why I feel second marriages that I've seen are more successful is because you have a greater sense of self-awareness and what you want in a partner. And what my hope is, or one of my goals in writing the book was, you know what, you don't have to land in divorce or separation if you, as you're thinking about marriage, can reflect Mm -hmm. more more consciously, you know, more proactively on what's important to me and in my life so that when I make these decisions, these very important decisions, I do it fully informed, you know, and not reacting, you know. (laughs) Absolutely. Really proactively letting that self-awareness, that self-reflection be the grounding for for those choices you're making. That, That makes complete sense. I yeah. cannot let you go without quoting one of my favorite passages in your book because it uh. actually echoes one of my things that I love to. It's a refrain that I know my clients, are, you know, here. It's a uh-huh. thing I plant with respect to avoiding that pitfall, right, of preconceived notions based on whether a man or woman is a first or second generation Indian. And this is really, like I said, one of the things that I I speak to often, um, so specifically, and these are not my words, these are your words. These sound like mm-hmm. they could be echoing the words I use, but I'm going to use your words here. Yeah. And I want to share it with our with our with our listeners, and that is quote amazingly, 
My husband is more open-minded and liberal than many men born and raised in the United States. From my own experience, I believe that making broad generalizations about Indian men is unfair. Mm -hmm. One must get to know a person before judging him or her. If being treated with respect, having equal voice and balance in a relationship, and financial independence are important to a woman, she should explore these issues with the men she meets and not assume all Indian men are the same. Stereotypes of Indian women are equally commonplace and also contribute to a young Indian woman's trepidation regarding marriage, end quote. I find that very profound, and so I quoted mm-hmm. that very long quote. Oh. <laughs> so I'm wondering if you can expand on that, perhaps sharing maybe an example or two from your experience with, you know, yeah. that's your own experience, and an example too of your experience with the hundreds of families, you know, struggling with marital discord where maybe misplaced stereotypes might have, you know, been caused mm-hmm. or been one of the factors, right, in, in that. Absolutely. Well, you know, in my own marriage, as I mentioned earlier, I met mm-hmm. my husband for literally 10 minutes before we were engaged. And I don't know if you've read the book Blink by Malcolm Gladwell, yep. but yeah. um, I I think it was that. You know, uh, there was something inside me that gave me the impression that this was a person I could trust and whom genuine and authentic and I could ask these questions and trust the responses, you know, that I was getting because yeah. – Moving back, living in America was very important to me. I was not going to live in India. I was not going to be in an extended family setup. You know, I wanted to have that autonomy. I made that clear. I also was clear about wanting to work. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that was all, you know, important front-end discussion in the short conversation. And sure. in my own life, you know, as I share, honestly, I don't know anyone who could be as supportive of my career aspirations as my husband. Indeed, the book I wrote, I've self-published, and he encouraged me to write it. And he basically published it for me because he knew it was important for me to share these think the thinking, you know, or the themes that mm-hmm. I had had learned from working with families. I work, as you said, with the IMF. I work in Washington, D.C., but my husband and children are in Richmond, Virginia. And when I got this opportunity to work for the IMF, which was a fabulous opportunity, he was the first one to say, you need to do this because this is so great for your career. And so I have two lives. I, in a way, to lead two lives. I work during the week away, you know, from home, and then I come sure. back on weekends and, and enjoy, you know, being with my family. But that's just a couple of examples of how in our life, you know, I have found that the mutual support and respect that we have for each other as human beings you know, has really helped us lead a fulfilling life. And um, I'm not in any way going to be Pollyanna and say we have a perfect marriage. Like all marriages, we have differences in styles of communication and so on. But as I said, it's hard work. So you work at it because um, that commitment that I mentioned earlier is so vital. You know, we didn't walk into our marriage thinking if I'm not happy, I walk out. If I if, sure. some, if something's not wor- working, yeah. let's figure out what's not working. You know, let's let's talk about it, let's deal with it, and let's see if we can find some solutions. So that approach, I think, is what I mean when I say use 
very liberal, very open-minded, and not. Uh, I have not felt at all limited um, by by him being raised in India and I was raised in America. Sure. Um, but and in terms I, of, sorry, go ahead. Well, I just want to. So clearly, right? I echo that in the sense of, you know, we deal with, we work with first and second generation. Any given mindset, any given trait, any given quality, any given sort of way of seeing the world, it's sort of you know you can't judge that just based on the you know whether one's a first or second generation because those span both and you can find you know what an alignment there regardless of which generation we're talking about uh, so that's i think yeah. you know your experiences in that regard um really speak to that um yeah and yeah I appreciate that absolutely no Why thank you absolutely i appreciate you sharing your insights with us keith and i'm wondering if there's any you know, last thought take home message you'd like to leave our listeners with well, um, you know, I wanted to say that marriage, you know, it's not, it's not hopeless. You know, I, I know we've been talking about marriages that aren't successful a little bit, and, you know, that my book does focus a lot on marriages that have not worked. But I don't want in any way to suggest that there is not still an incredibly small divorce rate for Indian marriages. I think that it's it's still the lowest in the world. And I truly believe that people who love each other, who share dreams and, and interests and values can have the best marriage possible. The key is that they have those important conversations and think through this. This is the most important decision in my mind that you will ever make in your life, who your wife and partner is. And so the kind of time and energy and effort we put into other things like our education and our job and so on, we must invest in, in selecting a good partner and in our marriage once we are in a relationship. And so I, I want and hope and pray that, that your listeners and that those who, you know, are in uh, hoping to find that relationship believe that they can have in their life a very fulfilling and lasting and happy marriage um, and and just maybe thinking through the qualities and, and character that they are looking for in their mate can help support making that best uh, decision for their future. I completely yeah. agree. Well said. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your insights, Keith. That's been a pleasure. Oh. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, Justina. Thank you so much for having me. And in case you joined us late, I would like to share this show with people in your life. I'd like to remind you that today's radio show will be archived and available as a podcast on Intersections Match's website, which is www.intersectionsmatch.com. I appreciate your hanging out with us, and make sure to join us for next month's show. Take care, everyone. <laughs>